0: Welcome to a Bible study with Archie Gilmer. I am Archie Gilmer, the preaching minister at Oak Grove Christian Church in Arden, North Carolina. This podcast is intended to provide sound biblical teaching for your spiritual growth. Now let's get into the Bible study. Continuing chapter 14 uh, this evening, I think it's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All the way down to verse 32, I think. So that's where we'll get started. Uh, they had the, the last supper, or the last Passover together, and uh, Jesus is getting ready to go in and be uh, arrested, and the disciples are fixing to have a lot more problems than they knew they were headed for, so let's get into some of that, and then we'll uh, see what else we can learn. Let's pray together and we'll get started. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for another night of Bible study, and I thank you for all the ones that are able to come uh, tonight uh, to study together and have fellowship, and we just ask you to continue to bless us, uh, continue to show us the truth, and even things we've already read a bunch of times and learned from a bunch of times. Lord, I know your word is living and true, and it will continue to feed us and continue to help us grow spiritually. So Lord, continue to show us your ways, Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so as we mentioned uh verse thirty two is where we pretty much left off uh they, they've been having the uh they had the supper together um, and verse thirty one left off with Peter keeping on saying he peter kept saying and insistently insisting and insistently the word is, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you exclamation point in verse 31 of chapter 14 in the gospel of Mark. And and, it's, and then it says, and they all were saying the same thing also, meaning let's not pick on Peter so much because they all were saying that. All the disciples were saying that, which is a clue for all of us that those men loved Jesus and were committed to him uh, according to their understanding of who he is was is and uh, uh, also what they believed was going on, which we we now know they were they had all of that misunderstood. It really wasn't possible for them to even guess what what was really going on until. Things happened, and then the Spirit of God comes to them as promised in Acts chapter two. What we know as Pentecost. So we have to give them some some grace and some uh, give them a break a bit here, even though we can learn from their behavior. Uh, Remember, uh, Jesus had uh, in verse thirty, Jesus had told Peter just right before that that basically told Peter that you you will you will fail and you will deny me in fact it's going to happen this night and it's going to happen more than once so sometimes lessons are learned in the heart in a hard way when it comes to spiritual growth when it comes to learning who Jesus is and who we are and how this relationship works with him so just kind of keep that in mind as we move forward because everything Jesus just said at the in the, in thirty and thirty one is about to play out. And then some, everything he's been saying since he began teaching in his ministry is about to play out. And they're going to get an eyeful. They're going to get a mindful and they're, they're going to be overwhelmed in their hearts in this, in this time. So verse 32, as we pick up where we left off, they came to a place named Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. Okay, this is the New American Standard translation. It's possible that other translations will make that statement in a different way. Uh, what I notice is he's saying to his disciples that he is going to pray, right? And we can possibly make an assumption that might be close to accurate that he's inviting them to pray with him. But I don't really see that it's saying that as a definite, that's what's happening. He's just saying, come and be with me. He wants them to be with him in this moment because we're getting ready to learn something about Jesus and something that I think is pretty comforting about our Savior. Verse 33, he said, And he took with him Peter and James and John and and began to be very distressed and troubled. All right, so here we have evidence about our Savior and his humanity and the the reality that he did come into the world as a human being fully fully man and experienced everything that comes with that which which is why i say it brings me a lot of comfort to know that my savior knows what our emotions feel like whenever we have emotions in in the world whenever we're stressed out whenever we're have a lot of anxiety or we're troubled by life, we're overwhelmed by the things that go on in the world or around us, we can know that our Savior, Jesus, has been there, done that, and can know how you feel. And there's many times, you know, many times we can be with our friends and neighbors who have experienced some tragedy or some loss or some hardship or whatever the case is and many times people want to help and they want to say words to make things better, and sometimes they say the wrong words. And sometimes those, not always, but sometimes those wrong words, as I know how you feel, when in fact we really don't know how a person feels many times. And sometimes it's not possible to know how another person would feel about a certain thing depending on the situation. But I'm saying that Jesus really does know how we feel because he's been through the emotions of man in many different ways and even in some ways been through emotional times and trouble sometimes way more deeper and more extreme than we ever will as we're about to learn and read about. So here he is in verse, uh, uh so he's distressed and he's troubled and he's bringing uh, Peter, James, and John, which are the three of the 12 that are the closest to him that he spent a lot of time, a lot more, a little bit more time with to these guys. And he brought them with him to be with him in his time of stress. Verse 34. And he said to them, he, here's what he says to these guys. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. Okay. This is Jesus, the one whom they're looking to as the leader as the Christ Peter even said so remember because uh, uh, there was a time when Jesus said to the disciples uh who do you say that I am because everybody else says these things about me and Peter was the first one to jump up and say "Well you're the Christ" which was the right answer so when you're looking to a leader a person who's leading you whom you're following who you believe is the Christ and he looks at you and says uh my soul is deeply grieved he said to them I'm 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 pretty depressed right now to the point of death. Basically. I don't even know if I can even understand what that, what that would feel like to be that grieved to the point of death. And he's asking them, just be with me, sit with me. Our savior, Jesus, the man in this point in time needed other people. And that tells me that God created people to need other people that's how we minister to one another sometimes and i've learned this over the years in, in as a as as a preacher uh, as a minister of the gospel as a, as a shepherd to the people at times the best thing i can do in many situations is just go and sit down and not say a word and just be around Many times I've done that, and many times because I don't know what to say and I'm a, I don't want to say the wrong things, so I don't say anything. I just sit there and I pray and I wait for some need to come up that I can get involved in, but I just sit there and be present. And every, almost every time I'm able to do that, the people that I'm able to do it for come to me later and talk about how much I've done for them. And I haven't done anything but just be there. To where they're not alone, and it's not only the preacher's job to do that. It's all of every believer in the world is called to be present in someone's life. On a and it don't have to be stressful times. It don't have to be mourning times. It could just be any time. Just be around people. And right now, here's our Savior in a in a in, in a moment where he is needing the ministry of his brothers his disciples the the men whom he called to begin the church at some point and then in verse 35 it goes on it says and he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible the hour might pass him this, this is part of the of, of of the story of Jesus life is always amazing to me to to read about and to, and to know about and to think about and 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 the lord has reminded me a lot of times in my own personal life about this moment in Jesus' life, because Jesus is saying to God, to the Father, he's praying, if it's possible, let's just skip this part. In other words, if there's another way for your will to be done, I would rather do that. And it, and it's more evidence that our Savior knows what it means to be a person in this world and face hardship face trouble, have fear, have anxiety, have stress, have uh, grieving moments. So when I find myself or when we find ourselves in those places, we can know that Jesus, our Savior, understands our tears, understands our stress. There's nothing that can happen that he is not able to understand. And his presence is always promised to us. He said, I will not leave you alone. I will give you another counselor. One who's going to be with you. One who's going to teach you and, and guide you and correct you and, and every, all of those things. You're going to go into the world and make disciples and I'll be right there with you. Even when you're persecuted for being the believer that you are. Even when you're preaching the gospel to your friends and neighbors and they're rejecting that. Even when you're this even when this world is trying to cancel you because you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're not alone. He knows. Even when life is happening and stressful things that aren't persecution are happening, sicknesses, anxieties, troubles, whatever the case, he's always still there. Not just there, but understands. So verse 36, he continues the prayer and it talks about his prayer. It says, and he was saying... Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We all know, I hope, that this word Abba is the the same as the word that we use for daddy or, or, or papa or whatever the, whichever way we refer to our own father in terms of endearment. That's what that word translates to. And he's, he, in his prayer, he's talking to God, the Creator in an, in such an intimate way that shows that he understands his relationship with the Father as one who is not only king and Lord but also a caring father, the one you run to whenever you need some help. so he's doing that he says He says, all things are possible for you." Everything is possible for you. I wonder if we start our prayers like that on a regular basis, right? When we go to the Father, when we go to God about the things that go on in our life, good or bad or everything in between, do we say that? Do we say those kinds of words? Lord, I know, I know whatever, anything is possible for you, Lord. It's just a statement of faith. It's a statement of belief. It, it, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, what we know is the Lord's Prayer, when the, these the same guys were asking Jesus to, hey, teach us to talk to God the way you do, and he says, here's how you do it. Here's, here's, here's what you do, and you start acknowledging who God is, and you recognize him for his holiness, and then you go on down the list, and it was just a, a framework for how you address God in your prayer time. And this is the same kind of thing. All things are possible for you. And then, he's, and then his request is made, remove this cup from me. If there's another way, I don't want to do this. And it's not that Jesus didn't want to do it. He did want to do it, but he's understanding what he's facing. We know he's understanding what he's facing because two times previously, at least in the Gospel of Mark, he said to his disciples, the Son of, uh, the son of Man or the Christ will be arrested, will be mistreated, will be beaten, and will be killed. So he knows what's about to happen. He knows it's time for it to happen, and he goes to the father and says, "Uh, "I'm scared. I'm not looking forward to this. I don't want this." And be honest—if we're—if we're we're honest with (laughs) ourselves, what human being would face that and say, "Yeah, I don't want to do that." But he says, "Yet not what I want." But what you want, isn't that the hardest thing to say to God in any time? What what I feel like Jesus is doing here is he's expressing how he feels and what's going on in his heart and in his mind. And at the same time, he's acknowledging and surrendering to God and his will. He's saying, I don't want to do this, but I know that if this is the only way, that's what we want. That's what we'll do. The only way for what? That we all know, because we all live on this side of the cross and we've heard the gospel over and over And if we're saved. What we know is, is that the only way for man to be saved from his sinful state is for the sacrifice to be made, the only sacrifice, because the consequences of sin is death. And there's only one, according to the entirety of the Bible. Uh, you can go from uh, any, pick anywhere in the Bible, and you'll eventually find that there's only one who's able and and qualified and and fit to to make that sacrifice. From Genesis chapter three all the way into John's Revelation, it says it talks about that. Who can open the seals? Remember, in, in Revelation, who's who's worthy to open up the seals and read from these scrolls? Nobody. And then finally, one who steps up, who looks as a lamb who has been slain, is the one who's worthy, remember? That was just a couple, several, a couple years ago, we studied that. So he's, he's sitting here saying, your will, not my will. And, and it's, and it's gives me a lot of hope in my relationship with the Lord, because I hear I see my Savior interacting with God in a real and genuine way. And it's real similar to the way I interact with God. Because I tell God exactly how I feel. I may never get to the "Your will be done, not mine." All the time, I wish I would, but I don't always get there. I may always never. I may never, or may sometimes not say all things are possible. I may not say it, but I think I know it. But sometimes I, I think God's trying to get me to know that He likes to hear me say it to Him, to acknowledge it. So it's 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 almost like a fine tuning of your relationship. Fine tuning of your communication skills with God. Sometimes, I'm not saying that you have to say these words in a traditional type of a way. Where if you don't say these particular words, then your prayers aren't good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying your communication with God should acknowledge His lordship and His abilities and and His His authority over all things. But it also should be surrendering to His will in some way. In some way, before it's over with. Before the conversation is over. So this is, this is Jesus once again praying at a crucial time in the history of the world. And he's totally stressed out to the point where he needs his disciples, his brothers to be with him. He does not want to be alone in this, but he knows to go to God as he is, has, as he has been in the habit of doing in his entire life. So verse 37 says, And he came and found them sleeping who's them these at least these three guys right that were taken a little bit further than the rest of them and he said to peter notice this simon are you asleep now don't you don't you always hate when you're asleep and somebody comes along and says hey are you asleep <laughs> but this is jesus in a, in a, in a, in a serious moment here and he he says hey are you guys sleeping he's not Asking, are they sleeping? He's getting them to notice, hey, you guys are sleeping. What is going on? This is not what I asked you to do. If you're gonna if you if you're gonna sleep, then there's no point in you being here with me. I'll confess this I'll confess this one thing to y'all. There there was one time I was visiting a person, not around here, is a previous place. And I and I was I was sitting at there. I had I had been to three or four three or four. I can't remember. It was at least three house uh, three, but maybe four other houses, just visiting. And I went to this person's house on the way home after this person. I was going to be done for the day visiting, and I'm talking to this person in their home, who's part of our church. And I'm catching myself fall asleep while they're talking to me. I was so mad I was so mad about that. I could not make it stop, and that's when I learned that i'm I'm not a kind of person that can sit all day and talk to people because it it's I like to do it, I like to talk to people, but one after the other for an for a whole day wears my mind out, and it makes me tired. so I learned a lesson that's like, okay, I gotta do two today, two tomorrow. And another one and and just make sure I catch up with everybody. And I felt so bad about that. And I was falling asleep and I couldn't stop. And it wasn't because I didn't care about that person and I wasn't because I wasn't interested in what, whatever it is we were talking about. It was be, I I don't know if I was interested because I was falling asleep. But this is, (laughs) this is when these guys, they don't, they're falling asleep because they're tired and they don't really know why they're there. And they don't really know why their savior or the, the Christ, their, their leader is acting the way he's acting. And they're not as stressed out as he is because they don't know what he knows. So they fall asleep and they don't know what he's asking them to do. He says, keep watch. He, he says, could you not keep watch for one hour? Keeping watch is sitting with someone. And being with someone is, it means more than anything you can ever say. Sometimes you can say important things and, and bless people with words, but being with somebody is so crucial when it comes to ministering to people. And Jesus was just simply asking these guys, I need you to minister to me now. And His humanity he needed. Which, which brings me, every time I see this, it brings me a lot of hope. That our Savior knows what it means to be human in this world, to need other people. He knows what that's like. And if he doesn't know that, then it would be hard for me to accept that he understands my sufferings. Right. So then he he says, notice, uh, oh, I almost forgot to point this out. Notice he said, Simon, are you asleep? Have you ever noticed that with Jesus and Peter? He's talking to Peter. Simon, Peter, remember when he called Peter to follow him, he said, hey, I'm going to call you Peter from now on. And it wasn't because he couldn't pronounce his real name, Simon. It's because Peter, the word, the name Peter, really means a rock or the rock. And Simon, it means something more like shifting sand. And if we're going to build the church on these guys, it's going to be a rock. But notice every time Peter does something out of line or not correct or wrong, Jesus calls him Simon. Look it up. Look at all the, look at all the gospels and you'll see every time he has to be corrected by Jesus, he he calls him Simon because he's not acting like the rock that he called him to be. Get it? So he says, Simon, are you asleep? And whatever he, by the way, whenever he's in line with whatever's going on, he, he refers to him as Peter. That's the rock that I called. He said, keep, you couldn't keep watch for one hour. And then in verse 38 says, keep watching and praying that, look, look, that you may not come into temptation. It was chapter 13. Jesus took a lot of time teaching about uh, the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem and uh, the end of all things, as the as the disciples questioned, was when is when is, when is it going to be the end of all things? And he went into this long teaching about what, what some people believe is the end of the world and his return and all of that. And if you notice the last third of what he was teaching in chapter 13, he's saying the the important thing to know is that you need to be ready. Be on alert. He said it over and over and over again, always be ready. Don't be getting ready. Don't be thinking about fixing to be ready. Get yourself and be ready. So now here he's saying, hey, you got it. You guys got to wake up, and you got to keep watching, and you got to. And now he's saying to them to pray. Keep watching and praying. The reason you're falling asleep is because you're not praying. You're not talking to God. You're not doing anything. You're just, you you sat here and you didn't do anything. So you got bored and you fell asleep. He says, not just praying for him. He's not saying you need to pray for me. He's saying, pray that you may not come into temptation. That means what he's saying to them is that that you may be ready for what's about to happen. What kind of temptation would they fall into sitting in the woods with him? He knows what's about to come down the road. He knows exactly what's about to happen. They should have a clue, but if they if they were able to receive what he's been teaching this whole time, but it kept going over their head, or it didn't sink in, or it didn't make sense, or they haven't put all the pieces together yet, which is fine. But he's 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 there with them. He's saying, "Look, you need to pray that you don't come into temptation." And then he says this, which we all need to tattoo on the on the ret on the our retinas so we can see him. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says that to them. And and remember, remember, it wasn't just a little bit ago, Peter, who now in this moment is Simon, was talking about, hey, I'll, I'll die with you. I'll die, I'll go all the way with you, Jesus. And then he had to get rebuked. He's like, no, nope, you'll deny me. As a matter of fact, you're going to deny me three times. And it's going to happen tonight. And, of course, right after that, Peter, he's already made the commitment. He's already made the statement, so he's got to stand firm in it. Oh, no, no, that ain't going to happen, Jesus. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. I, I insist that I'm never going to, I'll die with you. Of course, everybody else didn't want to be left out. Well, if Peter's going to do it, I'll do it. And now here they are, falling asleep. They couldn't even get past the prayer time. They couldn't even get past the prayer time. How'd they, how are they ever going to get down this road to the cross with him? And he's trying to get them to understand, you, you guys need to, to, you, you need to engage in some, some serious prayer because that's what's going to keep you away from the temptations that are coming. That's going to keep you from fleeing away from what's good for you. The spirit is willing. That's why you're insisting that you'll die with me, but, but your flesh is weak. He's saying because fear is going to rise up in you and you're going to, you're going to crumble and fail in the flesh. He's saying to them, in the flesh, you're not going to make it. He's constantly teaching them about what's to come and how it's going to be. And he's encouraging him in this moment, you need to spend some time talking to the Lord. You need some time, spend time talking to God. You need to be ready. Get ready. Again, verse 39, he went away and prayed saying the same words. Do you think that uh, Jesus felt like God did not understand him or hear him the first time. I don't think that's the case. I think that uh, there's a lesson to be learned for all of us in, in watching how Jesus interacts with the Father that God wants us to continue to talk to him about our feelings and our thoughts, even if it's the same ones as yesterday or the same ones as this morning or the same ones as five minutes ago. Because it's better than saying your prayers and then spending the rest of the day worrying about what you just prayed about. Because if you say, if you give it to God and then you go off the rest of the day in fear and worry over what you just left on the, at the throne of God, then that's not, there's no faith there. And what kind of power is there in that kind of prayer? So we see Jesus, he's just going to keep talking to to God until it's time. And again, verse 40, he came and found them what? sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. There's a time for everything, isn't there? Time and a place for everything. And this is just showing us that it, it, it most likely was impossible for these men to grasp the gravity of what was happening in these moments. For them to be continuously falling asleep, And their eyes getting heavy and it says they did not know what to answer him. You ever, you ever, you ever let somebody down and not know how to explain yourself? Somebody you really care about and you just don't have any, you don't have no words to say for yourself. You know, that's where they are. I mean, especially when it comes to sleeping, you fall asleep and when you get woke up, you're not ready to communicate with anybody because you haven't even got your bearings yet. You're in a fog, and it's like, what's going on? Where am I? And Jesus is just standing there looking at him. Again, y'all? Really? Is this what's going to happen? I have to believe that it's possible that none of this is a surprise to Jesus. I have to believe that he. this is not surprising to him. I think he's just continuously trying to teach them and show them and get their attention about some things. So verse 41, he said, uh, and he, verse 30, excuse me, verse 41, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? You, You would think he would give up on them at some point to say whatever. But he came back. He says, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. Basically saying that this is, we're done with this. And he says, the hour has come. Behold, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, these guys who could not stay awake, who, who were constantly, uh, being, having their sleep interrupted because Jesus keeps checking on them and they're not understanding what's, what's the big deal? And suddenly now they're seeing what the big deal is. And maybe they're thinking about supper time when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they start looking around the table trying to figure out who it is. And now that moment has come. And this is, I see Jesus here saying to these disciples, time for praying is over. Ready or not. You know how many times I've been around people who, how do I explain this? Life is hitting them in pretty heavy ways. And they come running to a preacher somewhere <laughs> with their Bible saying, tell me where the Bible says this or that. Tell me where the Bible says this or that about this. This is what's going on. What does the Bible say? It's too late, y'all. This is why we study on Wednesday nights. This is why you have family Bible study at your home. This is why you have your personal time of studying God's word. And you pray every day and you talk to God about things. And you listen to God and you let him make you who you are in Christ. And the spirit of God is healthy in your life. So that when the storms hit, the scripture and the spirit of God already give you what you need. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, if you, if you all insist on running to your preacher or running to the Bible to figure out what to do, maybe you'll find some answers, but it's pretty stressful that way. And I, and I would say that it, it's, it's many, uh, it's, it's the, it's, it's the cause of many people falling away from God. Because they feel like God's not answering them or guiding them. Because they can't find the answers fast enough. The Bible is not Google. You don't just type in your question and get an answer. You study it. You make it who you are. You pour it in and you let it be there. And you let the Spirit of God bring the truth into your life. And you will always have guidance. You will always know. You may not always like the answers. You may not always like the way that God's going to go but you will have courage and you will have wisdom. And you don't have to have internet connection to get it. (laughs) So this is why this part of chapter 14 is so encouraging to me because I see that our Savior is interacting with God in just the way that he's teaching us to do. And if I can have the same connection with the Father that our Savior does as a gift to me through the blood of Christ... What else in this world could I ever want or need? How could I ever feel like God has abandoned me? How could we ever feel like we're alone in this world? However, here's Jesus in the flesh, feeling as alone as any other person has ever felt. And it's only the beginning. And I learned this over the years. Uh, in some of my studies in college of some counseling classes and, and, and just some personal experiences in my life. And I didn't know this until I started doing a deep dive into some of this, but there is an actual diagnosis, psychological diagnosis that's called loneliness. You can be diagnosed with loneliness. It's not being lonely. It's not, that's not what it is. It's basically a person who is Diagnosed with the uh, loneliness, this disorder—I would, I guess, I would call it a disorder. These people can be in a, a room of hundreds of people that they are—they know and they're close to—and feel like they're totally alone all the time. They could have hundreds of friends, and they just constantly there's nothing they can do to not feel alone in their life. That's the kind of loneliness that Jesus is experiencing and getting and fixing to get into. Where there's the, cause think about the gospel and what's happening, what we all know, what we all know is about to happen, what we're reading. Everybody in the entire world is about to abandon him. Jesus knows loneliness. So let's be ready. Let's continue to pursue our relationship with, with our father as has been Offered to us as this free gift. All right. So the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. It's where the theat- theatrical music comes in. Dun, dun, dun. Right. That's where I, I watch, uh, I always, <laughs> I always, whenever I'm, I told you this before, when I read the Bible, I try to read it like a movie in my mind, but then I put in this music, which is always like old black and white movies. Detective stuff whenever the the whenever the crime happens it's like da 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 and then somebody some shadows coming across a window that's I don't know that's just the way I do it so here's this like like he's being betrayed into the hands of sinners and the way it's written in the new American standard right there it's it's almost like the scripture is pointing to the bad guys, and if we're not careful we'll read right on by that, not realizing that the scripture is pointing to me. Betrayed into the hands of sinners. Romans, Romans teaches that uh, chapter three teaches that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter six teaches that the consequences for that is death. Which means that somebody has to die. There has to be a death. There has to be a death and it has to be a perfect sacrifice according to God's law. That's why this particular verse points at me. Jesus was turned over to me to be killed because of my sin. So then he says in verse 42, get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. In other words, prayer time is over. It's time to get, it's time to get this ministry on, on, on the road. And I, I I think there was a time several years back, uh, maybe more than several where I took this particular statement from Jesus and was trying to get the church motivated, right? Because everybody's fine with praying about something. We're always we're always praying about making disciples. We're always praying about doing ministry. We're always praying about... But sometimes churches are just, that's all they ever do is pray and they don't never go. Well, we're praying about it. Well, Jesus says, okay, the praying's over. Let's get up and go. The time has come. And this is what he's saying to these guys. The time has come. The one who's going to betray me is here. This is about to happen. And this is what he was trying to tell them earlier when he was talking to Simon. Y'all want to sleep? You're not going to be ready. You don't want to pay attention? You're not going to be ready. The only way to get ready is to keep watch and pray. And that still is true today. The only way to be ready for whatever God wants us to be ready for is to keep watch and pray. Keep watch and pray about what? What are we keeping watch over? I'm keeping watch over my home. As a preacher of this church, I'm doing my best to keep watch over what goes on around here. I'm keeping watch over my neighbors, my family, because I I want to be ready. I want to be ready for when the enemy comes to destroy. I don't want to be taken by surprise, and I don't want to be because if the preacher freaks out and panics and then comes to the church and says, what kind of scripture can we use? That's bad, y'all. Wouldn't y'all agree? And, and I think God wants us to be believers who are always ready, always ready. I'm not saying always have all the answers, always know what to do, always be holier than everybody else. I'm saying never be taken off guard or surprised By the enemy, because we're constantly working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's what I believe that Jesus is trying to get these guys to see. So then in verse 43, it's on. It's happening. Immediately, verse 43, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12. I mean, like didn't even while he was finishing the sentence, Judas comes on and came up and accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and elders. You think it's obvious who's going to betray Jesus at this point? First off, why wasn't he out there with them to start with? And second off, why are you hanging out with them? Something's fishy here, Judas. You got some explaining to do. Verse 44, now he who was betraying him had given them a signal. Them being the the guards. Saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. I always wonder when we, when, when, when we sin against God, it must be in this exact same way. It must be that we're kissing him and stabbing him in the back at the same time. And I don't think any of us want to actually look at it that way. it comes to sin you know and but you would think if we could look at it that way and accept that that maybe we would not sin maybe we would think think twice i don't think i wonder if judas while he was showing up to do this deed i wonder if there was even a moment where he's saying man this is not the right thing to do i don't want to do this anymore i'm out i don't want to do it and it's like going through his mind don't do this. Don't do this. Well, I got it. I'm committed now. I took the money. I, I got to do it. And there's this battle between the greed and the love that he may have had for Jesus and maybe even some kind of moral prick in his heart somewhere in all of this. And he goes up and he kisses Jesus on the cheek and says, here's the one. It, and here's something else I noticed. How come he couldn't have just stood out there and just said, that guy right there is the one? Pointed right at him and said, that's him. I I personally believe that his guilt would not allow him to speak. So he had to take some kind of action. Almost as if he's trying to convince himself that if he doesn't say it, he's not really doing it. I can't bring myself to say it, but I'll do something to give them the hint. Then they'll figure it out and maybe I won't be guilty. That's what people do. That's what we all do. We try to justify our behavior or we try to manipulate the truth about our sin so that we can feel better about it until the Lord convicts us. And we have no option other than to repent or run away from God. Because conviction is bad. It don't feel good. It's good. It's a good thing, but it doesn't feel good. It's not pleasant. It's a searing. It's like like a, a branding sensation i would imagine in the in the spiritual spiritual heart where the fire of guilt is burning so bad that you have to have relief the only relief is repentance or run far away from god where the where where the pain is so distant that you can't feel it anymore and that's that's where the world lives and that's where that's where this moment is with judas and in as I'm looking at this and thinking about this and even talking about it, I try to I put myself in the shoes of all these other disciples and how they must have felt watching him do what he just did out there in the wilderness. Total silence with the exception of Judas' feet crunching on whatever was on the floor of the forest and even maybe even the sound of a kiss on Jesus' face. And everybody's just going, we don't believe that just happened. What in the world? Why would you do that? So much so that it's about all chaos is about to break loose. Verse 45, after coming, after coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. He did it. He actually did it. They laid hands on him and seized him right then. The guards, the armed guards, a bunch of them, lots of them. Verse 47 says, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck uh, the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. I wonder who that was. Oh, Simon. He had to do that, didn't he? He had to because way back in verse 31, he was insisting that he would die with Jesus. Bragging that he was so committed to Jesus, I'll die for you. Even after Jesus said, "You're going to deny me three times," and 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 oh, Peter was like, no, that ain't gonna happen." You're wrong about that one. So now he has to defend Jesus because he loves Jesus because he felt like it was the right thing to do because that's what most of us may have done in that moment, and he had to because of everything he said. It's what happens when we? get a little prideful about our commitment you know i I, I encourage people to be fully committed to the lord every day of your life especially when people come to me younger anybody but younger people that come and try to get saved and and i make sure i try to make sure they understand the gospel so that their salvation to be genuine and then i try to disciple them after saying look this is the first day of your commitment This is not over after this. This is the beginning and you're going to stay committed and it's going to be a challenge to be committed every day. And every time I teach that lesson to somebody, sure enough, the Lord shows me places where I need to do better and be more committed to him. And every one of us, if I preached a sermon about commitment and faithfulness toward God, the whole room would light up with amens all Sunday morning. I was having a conversation this morning about this with somebody and, The comment I made was we need to do better at living in the amen before we say the amen about the commitment that we have to Jesus. And by the way, Mark's gospel is written from whose account of the gospel? Mark's writing down what Peter, this is Peter's gospel written by Mark. Peter taught Mark these things. Mark wrote it down. So when it says It says, uh, but the one of those who stood by drew his sword. Any other time it would say the person, wouldn't it? It would have said John or James or Andrew or one of them guys. If if any of them guys did it, it would say the name. But this time it says, but one of those. So, so Peter wouldn't even tell Mark who did it. But everybody knows. We all know it was Peter. So he cut the dude's ear off because he's not very good with the sword. And Jesus said to them, verse 48, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? I mean, he's not, he's never fought them physically. He's never attacked them physically. He's never been any kind of criminal, legal criminal in their world. All he's done is challenge the authority, the religious authority. And he's never done it violently. So he's saying, You come out here with all of this? Really? He says, every day I was with you, verse 49, in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me then, but this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. You want to talk about being confident in the will of God in your life. This is why he was able to say in his prayer time with God, uh, this is hard and I don't want to do it, but I know it's your will, so your will be done. He's able to submit to God over this because he knows it's God's plan. He knows it'll be hard. He knows it'll be, uh, more than hard. He knows it's going to be, uh, horrific. But he said, he says to these guards, all this is happening. I'll go with you because this is what's happening because this is what God has planned. And then finally in verse 50, it says, here it is, y'all. Verse 50. I wrote, I wrote the word loneliness right next to this verse in my Bible. And they all left him and fled. It wasn't just as several verses before, verses 32, 33, 34. He's asking these men to come and be with him because he's stressed, because he's overwhelmed. He's grieved to the point of death, he says. Just be with me in this time. And here it is, the moment, and they just scatter. They're gone. They were not ready for this. The flesh was weak because the spirit, it was only the spirit that it would be willing. They weren't ready. They hadn't spent time talking to the father. They hadn't spent time really listening to the things that Jesus was teaching over the time they were traveling together. They should have known certain things to be more prepared. That's that's how I see this. However, I also see that statement that Jesus makes is this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. I think that statement even applies to the next verse, verse 50, where it says they all left him and fled. I think he's talking about the fact that Judas turned him in. I think he's talking about the fact that these disciples couldn't wrap their minds around what was happening. They couldn't stay awake. They couldn't get prepared. The religious leaders were going to arrest him. They were going to kill him. He was going to allow that. It was in God's plan that they would all flee. Think about that, though. You think about what Jesus is doing, what the gospel is, what the cross is all about. From Genesis, the promise from Genesis that God will fix the problem of sin and there's only one who can die for the sins of man. If there was ever a lonely death, that would be it. Because no one can be with him in that. Because we're all sinners. We can't be with him in this because we're sinners. He has to do this alone. And the reality is is sin itself is a lonely place. And those of, those of us who have, uh, before we got saved, lived in that sin, captivity to it. If we, if we really think about those days, it is a lonely place. And you might have a lot of sinful friends who sin with you in a lot of sinful ways, but in the end, you're all alone because it's the tempter that comes along and says, this apple surely you can have. Surely you can eat of that tree. Surely you can, you can have knowledge. You did, God just doesn't want you to be like him. It's good. You should have it. And the moment you give in to that temptation and you sin, you commit that sin, the fruit is bitter. It's uh, filled with disease, disease called death. And the tempter, the one who encouraged you to do it to start with, totally abandoned you. He's not your friend. In fact, he not only abandons you and leaves you to yourself, he will go to God and tell on you and say, see that one right there? That person doesn't love you. They, they love themselves. They, they want, they don't even want to be with you. They don't ever talk to you. They go after their own desires. That's loneliness. So they weren't ready and they left him and fled because the, the fear got a hold of them and they weren't ready and they did what fearful people do. They run away they shrink back. This is interesting and I'll finish with this one. <laughs> and we we'll, uh and we'll finish up next time chapter 14 next time we get together. But this is interesting here. A young man was following in verse 51. A young man was following him wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body and they and they seized him, uh, the guards. But he pulled free from the linen sheet and escaped naked. So you sit back and you're reading your Bible and you sit back and you go, what's that all about? <laughs> why, why is that in here? What in the world? What does that have to do with anything? And, uh, studies show that Mark is writing these verses about himself. At the time this happened, he was a young man or, a, or, or, or an older, like a, a teenage boy, right? Growing up in the, under the, uh, the discipleship of Peter and the rest of the guys and John and them. So he he learned the gospel through them and he's writing this gospel based on what he was taught by Peter, but he must've been around and it's speculated that he would have heard some of the commotion that's going on in the middle of the night, jumped up out of bed to go see what was happening and it all broke loose. It, I think, I think it's evidence that Mark was an eyewitness to this, not just repeating Peter's witness. But I don't know about y'all, but if I'm writing, in, if, I'm, if I'm writing a book about what happened, I'm pretty much not going to tell y'all I was naked running in the woods, but they, you know, it's just interesting that it's sitting there. And I think, and you know, you think to yourself, okay, if, if the Bible is God's inspired word and it is, then that means nothing in the Bible is useless or unnecessary. So what's, the, what are these two verses about? These three verses. 50 to 52 what's it about why is it there what would the spirit of god put that there for and i i, I for one believe that the, the main purpose of that being there is to show all of us that mark knows what he's talking about that mark is also not only learning from peter the eyewitness but also was an eyewitness to these things and it's a, and it's an important time to point that out because he just described the uh, arrest of jesus and how that went down. So next time we get together, we're going to start at verse 53, and we're going to talk about once he's arrested, they're bringing him before the religious court, and he's going to be on trial. So uh, let's pray together, and then we'll be done. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your awesome greatness in our life, your faithfulness to us, your patience, your wisdom. We thank you for the gift of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we know that you can do all things. And we just ask you to take away our burdens and 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 help us to submit to your will in our life. Help us to submit to your will in our ministries and here at the church and in this community, Lord. Help us to uh, continue to be better and better at staying committed to you, uh, staying true to our, our faith and continuously studying your word so that your spirit will help us always be ready. We love you and we thank you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in with us at a Bible study with Archie Gilmer. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at agilmer.ogcc18 at gmail.com. Again, thank you for joining us, and we hope that you join us again at a Bible study with Archie Gilmer.